were eighteen of them, seventeen men and one woman, and they came from a mountainous province of Laos called Hmong. They fled their homeland in 1975 in the midst of a horrifying genocide led by the communist dictatorship Pathet Lao, and they made their way to the United States as refugees. They were scattered across the country, placed by the U.S. government in cities everywhere from coast to coast. They shared a difficult life, and they shared a terrifying death. Each of them, separated by wide swaths of countryside and cityscapes, miles apart and years into their ordeal of loss and violence and fear, each of them was found dead in their beds, killed in their sleep, by what looked like nothing at all. Welcome to Psychologia, a scientific exploration of the strange and pathological. I'm your host, Amaya Perda. people were first named as a separate ethnic group around 2300 BC in China. They were cited as living in the southern part of the country, but little else is known about the next 3,000 years of their history because Chinese literature during that period called all non-Chinese groups collectively Man or Nanman, meaning essentially barbarian or southern barbarian. Around 1100 AD, the Hmong showed up once again in references to the military operations of the Yuan and Ming dynasties, who were apparently pushing the smaller ethnic minority group farther into the remote parts of southern China. Chinese texts referred to the Hmong as Miao, but the group prefers Hmong, which means free man. The Chinese continued to actively suppress the Hmong all the way up through the 19th century, which, in combination with overpopulation and food shortages, finally led to a massive migration south and southwest into Vietnam, then Laos, then Thailand. By the time of the Vietnam War, there were about 2.5 million Hmong in southern China, 500,000 in Laos, 250,000 in Vietnam, and 45,000 in Thailand. Into the 1960s, the Hmong were a fairly isolated group. Most Hmong did not have running water or electricity, and their native language had only recently passed from oral to written. The Vietnam War changed all that. The Royal Lao government, which was supported by the Americans, recruited large numbers of the Hmong to fight against the Russian-backed communist Pathet Lao troops. The Hmong of Laos earned a reputation for being hard-fighting, tough, and loyal soldiers. But in 1975, when the war came to a close and the Americans pulled out of Indochina, the Pathet Lao successfully took over the Laotian government. 
Because so many of the Hmong had fought with the Americans, they were suddenly targeted by this new communist regime, and many decided to flee their homeland rather than end up in a Pathetlao re-education camp, which was basically a concentration camp, or be killed. Many Hmong refugees made their way to the U.S., They were placed in 53 cities, mainly in Minnesota and California, where they were forced to attempt assimilation very quickly. Even though they had fought alongside the Americans for years, most of them spoke no English and they had trouble learning it, particularly because their language had been oral until very recently. A lot of them were illiterate, even in their own language, and their life in the mountains of Laos had been focused on things other than formal education. This made it very hard for them to learn in a classroom setting, particularly a classroom halfway around the world from the place they called home. Almost everything was unfamiliar, including the houses they now lived in and the appliances inside them. And all of these things made job hunting nearly impossible. So many Hmong wound up on welfare, very isolated from the communities around them and very scared and depressed. Probably because of this isolation and their craving for the land they had been forced to leave, many of the Hmong refugees in the U.S. held on tightly to their traditional practices. Their families were often large, and they frequently lived with extended families, sometimes with over a dozen people packed into a two- or three-bedroom house. Differences like this led to friction in their new neighborhoods, which, of course, led to more isolation. The double trauma of war and such a seismic cultural upheaval was a huge source of anxiety and a whole host of challenges immediately began to pop up. The Hmong religion is based on animism, or the idea that all things have a spirit, and this belief system was massively at odds with their new surroundings. The stress got to be so bad that many Hmong refugees were suddenly breaking out in imagined skin diseases and parasites that couldn't be found when they went to see doctors. In short, the tremendous strain of the Vietnam War and the move to America was wreaking havoc on their mental health. All of this very quickly led to one of the most mysterious series of deaths in modern medicine— Nocturnal Pressing Spirit Attacks, or Hmong Sudden Unexplained Nocturnal Death Syndrome. According to a medical journal of the time, the Hmong were killed by their own belief in the spirit world. This idea of a spirit who comes at night and squeezes your body until you die is hardly unique to the Hmong. In Indonesia, they have an attack that translates to being pressed on. In China, they have something called the Bei Gui Ya, which means crushed by a ghost. The Dutch also have a version caused by the presence of what they call the Nachtmary, literally nightmare. Mary comes from the Middle Dutch word mare, which is an incubus who lies on people's chests, suffocating them, hence the word nightmare. In the Philippines, a mythological creature called a batibat, or a bangungat, is believed to sit on the face or the chest of its victims. Bangungat is a Tagalog word that means to rise and moan in sleep. This creature is said to look like an old hag and to be able to suffocate with its weight. 
For the Hmong of Laos, the evil spirit is called a dacho, and it is said to take the form of a jealous woman. In the time of our story, right after the Vietnam War, the condition seemed to mostly affect healthy young Hmong men. Only one of the refugees who died was a woman. The median age was 33, and they came primarily from Laos, but also from northeastern Thailand, where the population was mainly Laotian descent. The 18 I mentioned at the top of the podcast were among the first to die, but many more followed, all of them seemingly killed of fright because of their own belief in their nightmares. To understand how this could possibly happen, you have to understand a bit about the Hmong religion, which is very closely tied to their beliefs about illness and death. There are many nuanced versions of their core stories because, without a written language, everything was passed orally from father to son for generations and slight changes happened over time and across space. Different clans and regions brought their own perspective to the rituals and folklore, and these differences, or really the similarities, are actually one of the ways that families decided which other clans were related to them. Those who follow exactly the same practices were considered closer relations. There are some broad outlines, however, that are pretty consistent among all Hmong clans, and this is because Hmong traditional religion is centered around ancestor worship, and the belief in spirits. These spirits are believed to be either good or evil, and to actively take part in the day-to-day life of humans. It is these spirits, in fact, who are thought to be at the root of all of these sudden sleep deaths. The major legends of the Hmong belief system are focused on explaining the origins of these spirits, and a simplified version of one of these legends gives us some of the background that we need to understand the Hmong relationship to spiritual entities and their belief about death and sickness. Many years ago in the center of heaven, the wife of the chief of the gods gave birth to a pair of sons. The two grew up and were both married, and their wives became pregnant. The eldest son's wife gave birth first, and she gave birth to a great round balloon. The chief of the gods bequeathed the earth to the couple as their home, and told them to go down to the planet through the gateway between heaven and earth, and burst the balloon. He said that out of the balloon would come everything needed for life on earth to begin. They did as he said, and when they popped the balloon, All the spirits of nature came out and made the earth a good place to live. The ancestors of the Hamong also came from the balloon and began to thrive on earth. When the wife of the second son gave birth, she too gave birth to a giant balloon. But this one was oddly shaped, like a peanut. The chief of the gods told his son that he and his wife must not pop the balloon, but must instead destroy it. He then gave them the gateway between heaven and earth to be their new home. The second son, however, did not listen to his father. When he and his wife reached the gateway, he burst the balloon, hoping he would see what his own child looked like. Out of the balloon came all things bad. Ogres, evil spirits that brought illness and calamity. Wicked spirits who brought misfortune and other bad things all spewed forth. 
These evil things attacked the second son and his wife. She was killed instantly, but her husband managed to escape through the gateway and hide on earth. Unfortunately, the evil spirit stayed with him, and this is why they exist on earth today. They brought so much illness and death and misery to the ancestors of the Hamong that the chief of gods took pity on them and made a new kind of spirit to watch over them and fight the evil spirits. This new spirit was called a Neng, and it had special powers to protect the people. The first of the Neng went to live with a man named Shi'i and taught him how to heal the sick and how to fight evil. But Shi'i made a grave mistake and cracked three dragon eggs. He was cursed by the mother dragon, who made it so that he could cure all people except members of his family. When his son was kidnapped by evil spirits, she could not bring him back, and he was lost forever. His son's death filled she with bitterness, and he decided to give up his neng. He no longer wanted the responsibility of being the sole person with the power to heal all his people. He took his healing tools and gathered them in one place. Then he carried his bowl of holy water high into the sky and poured it into his mouth. Then he looked down to where his tools lay far below on the earth and spit the holy water in a great fountain upon them. The power of the flow of water broke the tools and scattered them across the earth. All the Hamong people who were touched by the water or caught a fragment of the healing tools were given a neng. And in this way, enough men and women were given the power to heal the sick. In the 1970s and 80s, when the outbreak of these mysterious deaths began, the Vietnam War had created a great rift in the Hmong people, separating many of them from each other and from their homeland. This meant that a lot of them struggled to worship, as they had been doing for centuries, and their traditional ways were hugely disrupted. For the Hmong, this was disastrous and terrifying. The Hmong believe that when they do not worship properly, when they do not make sacrifices to the gods or perform their traditional rituals, the good spirits, the Neng, the spirits of their ancestors, do not protect them. This means that they are open to attack from the evil spirits, the Dacho, who are suddenly able to come for them at night. When they do, according to the Hmong beliefs, they induce a nightmare so powerful that it leads to total sleep paralysis. The victim is aware of what is happening, is conscious of the spirit's presence, but cannot move, and feels a great weight on his chest. This will happen over and over again, night after night, until, in the worst cases, the ones we're talking about today, the spirit crushes his chest until he can no longer breathe and he dies. In Hmong tradition, the only way to stop the Dacho is to call in a shaman as soon as the nightmare visitations begin. The shaman, according to the Hmong, can provide psychic protection and stop the attacks. But the Hmong refugees in America, who, you'll remember, were scattered across 53 cities, had no access to their shamans, and no other place to look for protection. 
1981, the Centers for Disease Control put out a report on the nightmare deaths and began to track the numbers. They said that they all shared several features, things that made them distinct from other possible causes of death. All of them happened during sleep or while the victim was falling asleep. All of them took place very late at night or in the early hours of the morning. All except one were male and relatively young. They were healthy, with no reported pre-existing medical conditions, and their transition from life to death was very quick. In a few of the cases, witnesses said that they heard respiratory distress, gasping, groaning, moaning, or rasping right before the death occurred. Others said they saw the dying man frothing at the mouth and gurgling. Some said the victim was rigid or seized up during the attack, but most reported that the body was loose and limp. In some cases, the dying became incontinent at the time of death. The autopsies showed signs of acute cardiac failure with no underlying cause or disease. There were no drugs or toxins found in any of the victim's systems, nor was there any evidence of suicide. Many of the witnesses said that the sounds they heard right at the ends, the moaning, the grunting and groaning, seemed like the sounds that people make when they are afraid. They said that when they watched each man struggle to get air or gurgle, they were sure that they were seeing someone in the throes of a nightmare. These reports were a big part of the belief that the deaths were caused by horrifying dreams. Doctors, however, stated that all of these sounds could be signs of a heart attack, but none could offer any explanation for why so many young, healthy men would go into sudden cardiac arrest in their sleep. By 1988, an updated CDC report tallied the total number of nightmare deaths among Southeast Asian refugees in the U.S. at 117. Meanwhile, a similar wave of death was happening in Singapore, where other refugees had moved. A retrospective study showed that between 1982 and 1999, 230 apparently healthy young Thai men were found dead of unexplained causes. Along with the nightmare theory, there are several other controversial explanations for the Hmong sudden unexplained nocturnal deaths. Some have said that it was caused by the war. They say that long-term exposure to the chemical and biological weapons used during Vietnam led to permanent heart damage that eventually cropped up and finished what had started in those distant battlefields. Others think that the enormous stress of adapting to a new environment and a new culture was enough Or maybe that the extreme depression caused by isolation and the loss of a homeland took its toll. Still others believe that sleep apnea may have played a role, striking down healthy young men with no other illness. The CDC's 1981 study came to the conclusion that something was simply causing a disruption in the heart's electrical system, shorting out the conduction that is supposed to keep everything pumping along and causing sudden cardiac death. Sudden cardiac death is the leading cause of death worldwide. It kills an estimated 15 to 20% of people every year. Unsurprisingly, it's most common among older adults who develop heart disease over the course of their lives. But a small number of sudden cardiac deaths are caused by rare inherited cardiac arrhythmias. 
In these cases, a post-mortem autopsy cannot explain what made the heart stop, and the death is classified as a sudden unexpected death. Of course, by then it's too late. The only known way to prevent these deaths is with an implantable cardioverter defibrillator. As you may guess from the name, sudden unexplained death syndrome is something of a mystery. Sudden unexplained nocturnal death syndrome accounts for a small portion of these deaths, making it very scary and very difficult to study. Additionally, the rate of sudden unexplained nocturnal deaths dropped quite steeply in the years after the big migration of Southeast Asian refugees at the end of the Vietnam War. At its peak in 1980, it was believed to kill 92 out of every 100,000 Hmong. But by 1987, this number had dropped all the way down to one in 100,000. This led to decades of mystery around the syndrome and very few ways to understand how its rate had shot up and then dropped off so rapidly. One of the most likely explanations comes back again to the idea of evil spirits and the Hmong belief in their nighttime visitations. The features of the Dacho attacks, the grunting and groaning, seized up muscles, the tightness in the chest, the inability to wake up, all of these are very much like the symptoms of a night terror. Night terrors are a sleep disorder in which the person experiencing the terror finds themselves semi-conscious but unable to move or speak clearly. They sometimes report being aware of the room but also seeing dream or nightmare-like images, and they can't rouse themselves to make it stop. Witnesses who come across someone in the middle of a night terror usually cannot rouse them either, and when they are able to, the sleeping person almost always says that they were having a nightmare. As I've said a few times now, the Hmong refugees who came to the U.S. after the war had very high rates of depression, anxiety, and even hostility, all of which are common in adult sufferers of night terrors. All of these symptoms were very frequent among the refugees for the first year and a half after leaving their home. After three and a half years, however, these issues had improved and probably not coincidentally, the rate of these mysterious deaths went down too. It is very possible that the sympathetic discharge or the elevated stress that happens during night terrors leads to some strain on the heart, especially for people who may already have some vulnerability, and is therefore related to the cardiac arrest that pathologists were finding during the autopsies in the 70s and 80s. After reports of sudden unexplained nocturnal deaths dropped, newspapers and scientists alike seemed to pretty much move on. There are not that many stories or studies about this bizarre phenomenon from the last few decades, but just this year, a new article in the Journal of the American Heart Association came out with a few interesting new pieces of the puzzle. The article is called Sudden Unexplained Nocturnal Death Syndrome, The Hundred Years Enigma, and its four authors... Doctors Zhang Zhang, Su, and Cheng offer a few fascinating ideas based on science that wasn't around. One of the things they point out is that, quote, a most striking characteristic in the epidemiology of sudden unexpected nocturnal death syndrome is that it mainly attacks the Southeast Asian population, suggesting a hereditary susceptibility in Southeast Asians, end quote. 
Now, this suggestion was noted back in the 80s, but what makes this piece so special is that it goes on to detail some of the potential genetic components of the disease. The three I want to point out here are the possible mutations in sodium, potassium, and calcium ion channels. Without going into a whole biology lesson, I'll simply say that the opening and closing of these channels is crucial for the electrical impulses in your body. These impulses keep things moving and are essential for your heart to pump regularly. If the electricity is cut off at any point while these channels are opening and closing, you can have a lethal heart attack. So any mutation of these channels may get in the way of them doing their jobs in the proper way and can therefore lead to sudden cardiac death, unexplained or otherwise. What this study found is that these mutations may be genetically more likely in people of Southeast Asian origin, like the Hmong. Now, having this genetic susceptibility is only a part of the problem. In normal circumstances, when your life is stable and your health and diet are generally good and you don't have too much stress, even having these mutations doesn't mean you're suddenly going to have a heart attack. But when you have things like heavy labor or massive stressors like leaving behind your country, an entire culture, for a totally unknown place where you can't practice your traditions, you end up at risk for the mutations to come into play. When that happens, the ion channels I mentioned before stop opening and closing in the right rhythm, and the electrical activity is disturbed, which causes a cascade of faulty electrical activity all throughout the heart, which, of course, can lead to a heart attack. These are only some of the many things that played into the epidemic of Hmong sudden unexplained deaths in the 1980s, and I'm sure that future advances in science will shine even more light on this mystery. The big picture is that sudden unexplained death syndrome is a multifactorial disorder with lots of causes and risks that we don't understand yet. As has happened over and over throughout history, this lack of understanding causes us to find our own way of explaining the unexplainable, reaching back to the stories and traditions of our ancestors to make sense of the world we live in. I can't give you the answer as to why these hundreds of young men died in their sleep. No one can. All I can say is that I believe it's important to remember the past, both the historical and the mythological, so that we can hope someday to explain the future. Thank you for listening to Psychologia. This episode was created and produced by me, Amaya Perda with original sound design and music composition by Cameron Carter. Our guest star this week was Mario Rivera. If you like what we do, please take a moment to write us a review or give us a few stars on iTunes. It really helps us out. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Psychologia Podcast or Twitter at Psychologia Pod and visit our website for links to source materials or to subscribe to the Psychologia Report at psychologiapodcast.com. We'll be back in two weeks with another scientific exploration of the strange and pathological. <laughs>